Wait till you hear who Joe Biden has hired to tackle nuclear waste. And a Ph.D. candidate from UPenn has determined that freedom, yes, freedom, is a vestige of white supremacy. Everything is racist. And we discuss the hope we're starting to see in public education because parents are starting to wake up and do what we're talking about. Do something. If you see something, say something. Plus, my daughter comes back to the deep end today for an important chat with a friend on what's going on in college education. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Dim Hatch Live. everybody let me know down below in the chat that you are here that you're watching or maybe it's to the right to the chat whatever it is make sure that you also hit that subscribe button the like button and the notification bell so that you can always get notified as to when we go live my name is tim the humble host of this program it is season five episode 18 and i'm so glad that you are here with me on tuesday night 7 30 where we talk about how christians should approach culture uh, through the lens of scripture because culture is always changing it's always Becoming, you know, more and more crazy, I guess, in our age, we're, we're going through this cycle of, you know, crazy coming in. Uh, remember that the root word of culture is cult. So there is some cultishness happening uh, in culture at every moment. Uh, cult just has to do with what you worship, what you celebrate, what you what you make important. That's what worship's all about. That's what Christians are about, because Christians worship the most high God. And in order to worship the Most High God, we've got to eliminate every other God. And so that's what this program is about, identifying the false gods so that we can worship the true God and make a difference in a world that is lost, worshiping all these other gods. Amen? Okay. <laughs> Let me know in the chat below where you're watching from. Always like to see the chat. Always like to hear from you guys. It is The Deep End, Season 5, Episode 18. And I've got a new segment, brand new segment we are deep debuting tonight on The Deep End. It's called And We're Here. The old saying, and we're here, as in, I can't believe we got here. How did we get here? Well, where's here? <laughs> where are we? We are at the place where people who like sex with animals get very secure jobs at the federal government level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you heard about President Biden's latest pick for secretary of nuclear waste, deputy secretary of nuclear waste? His name is Sam Britton. And I'm going to put thing, the, uh, this up on the screen here for you. This is him. Sam Britton is a out and braggadocious drag queen who used to discuss having sex with animals. <laughs> he is a current drag queen. He has lectured on quote-unquote kink while at college campuses and is now the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Dip, uh, Disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy. In case you were wondering, his drag name is Sister Ray D.O. Active. How cute is that? He's worn stilettos to Congress to advise legislators about nuclear policy, and he's advised President Obama on LGBT issues. He engages in something called pup play. Pup play, which is some weird sexual expression in which he is the master of a masochistic man who likes to behave like a dog in some kind of weird sexual pleasure romp. I don't know. All I know is this guy's a real nut job, and now he's got a nice, secure place in the federal government. I looked up his bio, and it's amazing how often this happens. Son of a Baptist preacher, actually a Southern Baptist preacher, so probably comes from a very conservative family. Uh, believed he was gay at a very young age, uh, tried to go through gay conversion therapy, 
and in his words, described it as torture, torture, and uh, finally came out forcefully and embraced his identity as a gay man. He graduated with a degree in nuclear waste from MIT and is now working for the federal government. Now, here's the question, right? Here's the question. Does his lifestyle disqualify him from a post in the federal government? Now, before you just say yes, I think it's important that you understand why the answer should be yes. That's what this show exists for. Here's why. Um, because he's not just sickened in his mind in regards to sexuality and uh, dressing as a woman and these kind of ideals. He's aggressively pushing his lifestyle and agenda into the public sphere. Again, dressing up in stilettos to visit congressmen and fight for LGBTQ rights under President Obama. And, and that, when you are aggressive about these kind of views and this kind of agenda in your life, it makes you fair game for questioning whether or not you should have the post. A piece by Rod Dare of the American Conservative makes this argument very well. Here's the piece. It's called Sam Britton and the Moore Foundation's Theory. And the argument says, look, he's got, if he gets the job, uh, the argument that uh, Rob Dreher uh, is taking on here is the, the argument that, say, that states, goes something like this. Well, if he gets the job done right, you know, who cares what he does in public? Like that's his private business. So if he does the job, and they used to say this about Clinton, right? They used to say, well, who cares if he's having oral sex in the Oval Office? He gets the job done and the economy is good and our lives are very good. So, you know, who cares? That's, that's his private business. Well, it, it does matter, right? And the same people who jumped on uh, President Trump for comments that he made about women's private parts, which were unconscionable, but way back before he was president and sexual proclivities before he was president, you know, not while he was president, like Bill Clinton, the same people who would vilify President Trump celebrate this guy while he is advocating and advancing his sexual kink on others. And Rod uh, Dreher writes in his piece here uh, at the American Conservative, uh, quote, on his website, uh, see one of my posts for the link, he talks about how he likes to wear women's clothing into the workplace as a way to provoke people into having, quote unquote, conversations about LGBT matters. To me, that is a classic sign of exhibition, exhibitionism. And in the woke professional environment we now have to deal with, this amounts to bullying. And Rod's right here. He's absolutely right. He goes on. Brinton is daring people to object or to show the least discomfort so he can, quote unquote, educate them. According to his past testimony, he hates his fundagelical parents. That's a play on words there. Fun, fundamental and evangelical parents because they allegedly forced him to go to conversion therapy. Assuming that's true and there are questions about it, he is taking his anger out on his parents and on everyone else. A figure, a figure like this is toxic in the workplace. Absolutely. If Brinton were a loud, aggressive, fundamentalist Christian evangelist who bragged that he enjoyed provoking people into having conversations about their religious beliefs, he wouldn't get hired by most places because he would be constantly stirring up trouble. I'm a conservative Christian, Rod writes, and I wouldn't hire such a person. And then this line, this is important. You got to hear this. But Brinton happens to be an activist for a cause of which cultural and professional elites approve. So he's not only going to get a pass, his peacock strut strutting probably helps him out professionally. 100% right. Because if you are on the side of the cultural elites, whether it's in your sexual lifestyle proclivities or beliefs about abortion and, uh, you know, all these other issues of the world, climate change, you, you get a cultural past to do whatever you want in the public sphere, force your views on others, uh, stir up criticism and dissension and argument. And, and not only do you get a pass, but you get promoted, you get preferential treatment. However, if you are not on their side, 
you get vilified, you get demonized as a racist. And that is where we are. And we are here. We're here. And I tell you this because right now in Canada, and I'm sure you've heard about the uh, Freedom Convoy trucker protest in Canada. These are truckers who are protesting the vaccination mandate for crossing border between Canada and the U.S. And right now, going on, what's going on in Canada should really alarm and awaken every freedom-loving citizen in both Canada and America. And I don't even care who you voted for in the last election. You should care about the fact that freedom is under assault right now. And it is under assault most notably by the blackface-wearing, Nazi-authoritarian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I mean, this guy is seriously authoritarian. And blackface Hitler was trending on Twitter this weekend because of his uh, present movement to stifle this peaceful protest that is led largely by blue-collar workers. By the way, when... When did this divorce happen between um, political liberals and the blue-collar workers? Because for generations, political liberals and blue-collar workers were tight. Now there's a divorce. A divorce has happened. And, and it's happening in plain sight. And I, I, I hope that more blue-collar workers are waking up to this because you blue-collar workers, not the cultural elites, you decide. Presidential elections, you decide what happens in our school systems. You decide. You do. I know we don't think we have power. But we do. You do. You have power because you are by far the largest segment of the population and you have the most vocal presence in the small town public setting at the public school board meetings, at the planning meetings and all those other meetings that matter for local politics. But anyway, what has Justin Trudeau done? He who marched with the BLM protesters in the summer of 2020. While they, divorced, while they destroyed public property and private businesses, is now using the full force of the government and the police, kind of ironic, to demolish and squash a peaceful protest based on ideas he doesn't like. So, so far in Canada, he's had private bank accounts suspended and money's confiscated. He's had the truckers pulled from their trucks and arrested. And literally old women have been trampled in the streets in Ottawa who were standing with the truckers on the side of the Freedom Convoy. This is unconscionable. And it's happening right now in a Western democracy, and you need to be aware of it. But if you stand with the truckers, you are not just an enemy of the state. You are, of course, a racist. That's what you are. You are a racist because you stand with the blue-collar workers who don't want truckers to be forced to take a vaccine against their will even though they spend 8 to 16 hours of their lives in a truck alone. This from a piece from The College Fix. Look at the headline of the article. Penn PhD candidate argues freedom is a key component of white supremacy. I kid you not. Uh, This article in The College Fix was talking about an article that was published in The Washington Post. Uh, by a doctoral candidate in the University of Penn. His name, or her name, sorry, is Taylor Dysart. And she basically makes this attempt to find the roots of colonialism uh, in the desire of a group of Canadian truckers to avoid being vaccinated. (laughs) So colonialism uh, equals white supremacy equals truckers wanting to not get vaccinated even though they spend 8 to 16 hours in a truck alone in a cab with nobody around them. Bizarro world. And I, and I share things like this because you have to be aware of what's happening in America's elite universities right now. This is Penn. This is an Ivy League educational center. 
home of the former male swimmer, now trans swimmer, Leah Thompson, who is breaking all kinds of women's swimming records and probably is going to rob a biological female of a uh, scholarship or, you know, advancement in some career because he, she is now identified as a woman. Anyway, to the article from the Washington Post, here's the article. The Ottawa trucker convoy is rooted in Canada's settler colonial history. So this is how you argue if you are progressive, if you are on the cultural elite side. Anytime you don't have an argument, you simply claim racism. When you don't have an argument, you, you claim racism. And I want you guys to do me a favor. Stop buying it. Stop buying it. Stop buying the idea because we have been duped since the death of George Floyd that anyone who disagrees with the cultural elites about anything, freedom co trucker convoy, uh, uh, climate change, who should win the Oscars? <laughs> If you disagree with the cultural elites, you are a racist. And it's just plain old bullying. It, it's when people don't have an argument. When people don't have an argument, they use force. When people can't persuade with words, they use force. And that's exactly what's happening in Canada under the leadership of blackface Justin Trudeau right now. Because there's a side of the divide that does this. The side of the divide that does this all the time uh, uses the racism card to mean I'm right and you're wrong. Shut up. And that's exactly what this article does here at the Washington Post. The writer does verbal gymnastics to trace the Canadian government's history regarding the indigenous populations of the nation to the trucker protest that is now rooted in, quote unquote, white supremacy. I mean, I read the article. I found very few re references to her sources, if any at all. And the most glaring line of the article reads like this, quote, the, prim the primarily white supporters of the Freedom Convoy argue that pandemic mandates infringe upon their constitutional rights to freedom. Now look at this next line. The notion of freedom was historically and remains intertwined with whiteness, as historian Tyler Stovall has argued. The belief that one's entitlement to freedom is a key component of white supremacy. The belief that one's entitlement to freedom is a key component of white supremacy. So now freedom, freedom, wanting freedom makes you a racist. <laughs> wasn't it, wasn't it, I don't know, 350,000 white men who died to set the slaves free in America in the Civil War? So, <laughs> so they gave their lives, they shed their blood to bring about freedom for black people in America. And that fighting to free black people is actually rooted in white supremacy. You see how it's, see how it's called <laughs> verbal gymnastics? Th this, then, he, then uh, just to sum up what, what uh, the, the writer here says, this explains why the Freedom Convoy members see themselves as entitled to freedom no matter the public health consequences of those around them. This is always the issue. This is always, well, your freedom shouldn't infringe on my health. Okay, here, here's why there's so much um, hypocrisy around the cultural elites because Coca-Cola, for instance, a billion-dollar company, will um, flood the market with a sugary drink that leads to diabetes most often in the black community, and then they will take their employees through a getting rid of your whiteness training program. Like, that's, that's literally what Coca-Cola is doing right now. So whiteness bad, here's a training program to tell you that you need to change your view about whiteness and be less white. Well, at the same time, we're going to feed sugary drinks to the population and causing diabetes in the black population particularly and, and then kind of absolve ourselves uh, from our cultural sin of doing this by asking white people to be less white. 
See, when you don't have an argument, you always claim racism. Racism is it. So whenever you hear it, whenever you hear it, you get it, this is a dog whistle. Racist is now a dog whistle for the people who do not, do not have an argument. This is where we are. So, so just so we know, just so we're summing up now, you don't have the freedom to protest vaccine mandates because that means you're a racist, but you have the freedom to forcefully engage LGBTQ discussions in the workplace while you're also promoting having sex with someone like acting like a dog. That gets you a job promotion. That gets you a job at the federal government. But for, but protesting for your freedom makes you a racist. Uh, back to Black Lives Matter, because I'm not afraid to take on this organization. And I'm not talking about the sentiment. I'm talking about the organization. Okay. It's never been really about black people. It's never been about black people. It's about indoctrination. It's about uh, subverting, like they had on their website many months ago. It's no longer there, but it's about subverting the biblical family. They call it the nuclear family. It's actually the biblical family, mom and dad and kids, right? It's about uh, promoting trans activism, transgenderism. It's about promoting gender dysphoria. It's always been about that. Anybody who wasn't aware of that just didn't do their own research into the roots and the, and the foundations of the organization. And I've been fighting this battle since the summer of 2020 because something to me was fishy about this organization from day one. First, the absolute silence of our governmental leaders. Can you remember back to 2020? Can you remember back to the summer of 2020 when the riots broke out on the after the death of George Floyd and people just flooded into the streets of American cities all across the country and our cultural leaders, our governmental leaders said nothing at, right after for them telling us to stay apart and stay at home for three straight months? Like it was suddenly all those rules about social distancing were null and void because a black man was killed by a police officer. And then it was promoted and celebrated and the, and the protests were really a political gameplay for certain political leaders to make their statements and to make their case. And it was just from that moment, like if you couldn't see the hypocrisy from that moment, you, you, you're blind. You're not awake to what's going on in our present day culture. I mean, you couldn't go in line in the grocery store and be closer than four feet to somebody, but the streets of LA were flooded shoulder to shoulder in one of the most susceptible hotbed COVID areas of the nation in the name of Black Lives Matter. And that was okay, according to the governors and the mayors of those cities and those states. See, it's never really been about black people. It's been about two things, money and control. And Black Lives Matter, the organization, has duped the world. And maybe people are starting to wake up to it. I give you this tweet from Spiked Online, quote, Black Lives Matter raised nearly $11 billion in 2020, but what has this actually achieved for black people? One BLM organization seems to have given more grants for trans activism than black civil rights, yet no one seems to care. Uh, the article is titled Black Lives Matter Missing Billions. The article reads, on 20th of December 2020, The Economist noted that $10.6 billion had been pledged to causes and organizations affiliated with BLM. According to that article, and further reporting from the right-leaning Daily Signal, BLM's corporate donors included Amazon, Gatorade, Microsoft, 23andMe, and Tinder, while recipients ranged from the small-scale unicorn riot guerrilla media fir uh, firm to the sizable Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Now, that Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation is the one to really pay attention to. The article goes on. Interestingly, uh, BLM's impact report lists far more transgender advocacy organizations as its recipients than organizations promoting black civil rights. 
The list of organizations to which BLM GNF pledged at least a six-figure grant includes, listen to these names, Trans United, the Audrey Lord Project, Trans Justice, Black Trans Circles, the Transgender District, the Black Trans Travel Fund, the Okra Project, the uh, For the Gorals, I don't know what that is, the Trans Justice Funding Project, the Trans Housing Coalition Homeless Black Trans Women Fund, Black Trans Media, and Black Trans Femmes in the Art. This is... Unbelievable. These are the organizations that all those billions of dollars are going to in the names of Black Lives Matter. No, it's really trans lives matter. Trans issues and trans indoctrination matters. So it's part and parcel with what we're seeing in the public school system, right? As teachers are coming out to the students and promoting gender dysphoria and hiding it from parents, the Black Lives Matter organization is funding these organizations that are also, uh, I don't know, uh, footing the bill to make sure that it continues to be promoted in our public school and in our public institutions. Unbelievable. Again, the country has been duped. The article goes on. And then there were the houses. And we've talked about this on the deep end before. One of the main reasons, the article says, Colors, Patrice Colors, stepped down was due to the controversy over her real estate buying binge, during which she purchased four homes valued at $3.2 million. Colors signed off on the deeds for a house in Inglewood, California, worth $510,000, a custom ranch property located in rural Georgia, which was equipped with an airplane runway and a $1.4 million mansion in ritzy Topanga Canyon a short drive from Malibu, Malibu, California. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> wake up to what Black Lives Matter, the organization, is really about. If you aren't aware of this, you need to be aware of this and educate yourself. I bring you, remember, the founders of Black Lives Matter uh, from left to right there, Patrice Colors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi. Two of those women, the two on the left, Patrice and Alicia, identified as queer right off the bat like years ago. And uh, Alicia, and they both married women, and now Alicia is recently divorced from her quote-unquote wife, okay? Uh, by the way, in the middle there, you see Alicia Garza. There is a tattoo on her chest. What does the tattoo read? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it reads. I am not wrong. Wrong is not my name. My name is my own, my own, my own. And I can't tell you who the hell set things up like this, but I can tell you that from now on, my resistance, my simple and daily and nightly self-determination may very well cost you your life. This was tattooed across the chest of Alicia Garza, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, who is a queer woman recently divorced from her quote-unquote wife. Very nice people, I'm sure, but <laughs> they are doing what people do. These founders are doing what people do. They are lining the pockets of their friends and themselves with tax-free donations from duped citizens of this country who were not aware of the foundations of this movement. I was aware from day one. I posted a blog to my website, got a lot of heat from ignorant people, and it proves now here, almost two years later, I was right. I was right. You've got to be aware of where your money is going. I mean, these three, they, they, these three make oh, uh, Kenneth Copeland uh, look like small potatoes. I mean, they're, they're raking in $11 billion and nobody's saying a thing. And actually now they are saying something because even Amazon has woken up. Even Amazon has woken up. This is from the New York Post. Amazon suspends Black Lives Matter from its charity platform. It says, quote, the beleaguered Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation has been kicked off Amazon's charity platform for its failure to disclose where tens of millions of dollars in donations it received nearly two years ago have ended up. Amazon Smile, which gives a portion of eligible purchases on the online shopping site to charities, said it had to temporarily suspend the group today, an Amazon spokesperson told the Post. 
And then the article goes on, quote, in October 2020, BLM GNF took in more than $65 million in donations from Thousand Currents, a charity that manages assets of grassroots nonprofits, according to documents filed with the California Attorney General. But the group has so far failed to disclose what it did with cash. As a result, several states have revoked its ability to collect donations in California, where the group is based. The state's Department of Justice, where BLM GNF's leaders earlier this month um, uh, sorry, uh, leaders earlier this month that they would be personally liable for any delinquency fees and fines. This is good news. This is actually good news because now perhaps, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, they'll be held accountable for their misappropriation of funds and they will be exposed for the frauds that they always were. But this is where we are. I tell you this stuff because I'm a Christian pastor and I'm concerned not with the matters of the world only, but how we react to it. See, I am amazed to this day how many Christians quickly jumped onto the lunacy of the Black Lives Matter movement. How many people quickly posted a little blackout uh, onto Instagram? And then as soon as they were told by the cultural elites that that was not enough, they quickly took them down. I mean, it was <laughs> it was just such a stupid game back in May of 2020. But the, the, the Christians that were deceived by this was really the alarming thing for me. I, I remember that the president of the Southern Baptist Convention at the time called upon all of his pastors in the convention to declare from the Pope at Black Lives Matter. And uh, some churches even put banners outside with Black Lives Matter across the, ch uh, across the outside of the building. Um, our educational system fully embraces ideology and the underlayment of transgenderism, transgenderism nonsense. So, so, so we've got to be aware, guys, there is an indoctrination that's been happening for two years for two years in concert with the COVID crisis. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And here's the thing about the truth, right? People don't want to hear the truth when they are married to the lies. And there's not a lot of Christians that are married to the lies, but they're dating them. They're dating the lies. And preachers, I mean, preachers, the last vestige of truth in many generations where truth has been cast at the streets, preachers and prophets need to step up and call out the lies and say something. And that's why this show exists, okay? And that's why we do what we do here. As, as Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Or as he said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.24, remember the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. Like we have got to understand that we are in a battle every single day and the battle is over truth. You cannot be passive. You cannot do what Adam did and be passive in the battle with truth and lies. What happened in the garden? Satan came, questioned the word of God, the truth presented a lie, you shall not die. She looked at the tree. She thought the tree was good looking. She ate the fruit. She handed it to her husband who was with her the whole time having the while she was having the conversation with the talking snake. And Adam was passive. That was Adam's sin. And we today in our generation cannot be passive and I will not be passive. And it might cost me parishioners in my church and it might cost me likes and it might cost me I don't know, throttling on YouTube and Facebook, banning my content. I don't care. We're going to say the truth. In fact, it might be a badge of honor today to get banned by Facebook. It might be a badge of honor to get banned by the gatekeepers of the cultural conversation. Google, Facebook, YouTube. Well, you Google and YouTube are the same thing, but you know what I'm talking about. Twitter. There you go. Twitter. This is worth fighting for because if we fight, and I 100% and I believe this, if we fight, we may see victory ahead. And 
That's my next segment here, Victory Ahead. I think the tide might be turning in regards to some of the things that we talk about on this channel. Because along with the COVID pandemic and the BLM riots and falsehoods that we have had over the last 24 months, we also had the critical race theory pandemic, the critical race theory, which has been discussed on this channel before. And I advise you to buy Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines, if you haven't already done so, a fantastic book. In fact, we'll put in the description down below the uh, episode where we discuss Vody Bauckham's book. And let me know, by the way, in the chat, if you've gotten Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines. You gotta get that book. It is a fantastic book. Read it, get it on audio, I don't care. Just get it into your system. It's an amazing book filled with facts and data about how CRT has been foisted, not just upon the educational system of our country, but upon uh, Christian evangelical churches, churches that believe that the Bible is the word of God. Anyway, after two years of this fight, after two years of CRT being subversively integrated into the educational system of America, we may, be, we may be seeing evidence of a swing in the right direction. And I want to talk about it uh, from actually kind of a humorous article to talk about it about. Uh, this is from the Washington Post. And I love the article title. Look, quote, new critical race theory laws have teachers scared, confused and self-censoring. Now, on the surface, they're trying to say, ooh, this is bad. This is bad. So teachers are scared, confused and self-censoring. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, every parent in America wants their teacher, the teachers that are teaching their students, their kids, their children, to be somewhat fearful of what they're teaching their children and absolutely self-censoring. Oh, yes. I do not want teachers foisting upon my students, my children, their political views, their political agenda, or some narrative that is disconnected from true history in order to promote some current of anti-God, anti-Christian ideology. I, as a parent, absolutely want teachers afraid to indoctrinate my students, my kids. And you as a parent want your teachers in your schools to be afraid, to be worried if they're going to be fired for teaching propaganda. You should, you should rejoice at this article. It's a couple of highlights from the article. Administrators in Edmond, Oklahoma uh, sent a slide presentation to staff saying that teachers should avoid using terms diversity and white privilege during classroom discussions. Yeah, amen. That sounds good to me. Or another example, administrators at Valena White, Valena White's High School in Cleveland, Tennessee, not Vanna White, Valena White's High School in Cleveland, Tennessee, converged or convened a special meeting to discuss how the law might affect teaching, said White 39. Their advice boiled down to, quote, don't teach your opinions, and if you think you can get in trouble for it, don't do it, quote, unquote, she said. Yes. Amen. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Washington Post is promoting this article as if it's a bad thing. I say it's a very good thing. This is good news. Call me old-fashioned. Call me old-fashioned because I don't think that homosexual teachers should be coming out to fifth graders like we talked about last time on the deep end. You know, again, maybe I'm on the wrong side of history, but, but proudly so in that in that particular instance. By, by the way, the fact that a, a teacher, homosexual teacher, needs validation from their students by coming out to children as young as fifth grade says a lot more about their heart and the inner turmoil that's within them than about the problem with the indoctrination happening in the public school system. To be honest, that's just my that's just my plain uh, opinion about that. When I, when I was in grade school, I did not want to hear about who my teacher was having sex with. I did not want to hear about who they were married to. I didn't care. You know what I cared about? Passing the grade, getting the test done, getting the project done, right? 
But I think, again, this betrays, this betrays an underlying sense of shame and guilt that many homosexuals and uh, non-binary or gender-confused people have regarding their lives. They know it's wrong. But if they can get children to accept it, it somehow validates who they are. This has to be taken on by the parents at every school system in every town in America. It has to be. Another article from uh, the uh, NPR, NPR npr.org, says this, from slavery Sorry, from slavery to socialism, new legislation restricts what teachers can discuss. And uh, I love this article as well. Uh, quote from the article says, across the U.S., educators are being censored for broaching controversial topics. Since January 2021, researcher Jeffrey Stack says 35 states have introduced 137 bills limiting what schools can teach with regard to race, American history, politics, sexual orientation, and gender idea- identity. Amen. Uh, the article goes on, some of the bills I would say many now include a provision that says something to the effect of teachers cannot be compelled to discuss a controversial contemporary issue. But if they do, they must do so even handedly and without any kind of favoritism. Again, I say amen. <laughs> However, many of those same bills would also require teachers to denounce in the strongest possible terms ideas like Marxism and socialism. And this is bad. Like, look, this is from NPR. This is National Public Radio. This is your taxpayers saying that this might be a problem. Your tax dollars are funding this news outlet to say that requiring teachers to denounce Marxism might be a problem. Of course, National Public Radio would have a problem with Marxism because National Public Radio is funded by tax money. (laughs) They always have money coming in. But, but, but this is good, though, that teachers are afraid and teachers are self-censoring and living in some sense of reverent fear about what parents might say and what parents might do and how they might show up at the next school board meeting and have it out with the school board. Like, this is good. Do you know why? Do you know why it's good? Because there's an undeniable fact about education. Education also always involves values. It always does. It's just a matter of whose values are being propagated in the educational system. So as I like to say to all Christians, and what do you want? You say, what, what, what should I do? Here's what you should do. Call the schools. Go to the meetings. Talk to your neighbors. Share this show. How about that one? Yeah, click that share button. Put this, don't be afraid. Put this on your social media page. And of course, vote in local elections. Here's why. Even in San Francisco, even in that bastion of liberalism and progressivism and secularism, the school boards are starting to change. Three extremist school board members were resoundingly voted out of office last week in San Francisco. And uh, the reason why, even Mayor London Breed had to admit that they were more interested in renaming schools like Abraham Lincoln High School because of the racist past of Abraham Lincoln, I don't know how they find that connection, than getting kids back into school this past year. I mean, this is good. This is good because it shows that even in San Francisco, change can happen. People can get voted out when parents do something after they see something. Anyway, I just want to remind you guys too, and I think this is true. Many more agree with you than you think. Many more agree with you than you think. Do not be afraid. Speak up. See something, say something, do something because the future for your children and their children matters. And parents, you are far more powerful than you think. Many more people agree with you than you think. And don't let the cultural gatekeepers, Google, Amazon, Twitter, Facebook, shame you into silence speak up and do something okay speaking of speaking up very proud dad here because i'm going to bring you back to a segment that we have done before on the deep end it's called the conversation 
And uh, some of you have told me that you remember when my daughter Olivia was on with me last time. I call her my resident college education expert because she's in college and she has a lot of friends in college. And so she's going to carry this conversation with a friend uh, right in, in just a moment. She had this unique experience where a friend from high school, Olivia graduated, moved away, went to college in Florida, and a friend from high school called her uh, to let her know that she had come to Christ at our church and was now enrolled in public university and found the educational programming troubling for certain reasons. And she, even as a new Christian, had a real difficulty watching what was going on, and she has a lot to say about that. So with that in mind, here's the conversation. Hello, everyone. My name is Olivia. I am so happy to be back here on the podcast. It's such an honor, and I'm so humbled to be interviewing an old friend of mine. Um, she's going to be kept anonymous um, in this podcast, so she's going to just be um, known as Skylar today. So, Skylar, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Olivia, and hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So Skylar, why don't you, um, I know you can't go too much into detail because um, she just wants to be private in this podcast, um, but why don't you just kind of briefly explain how you came to Waters and um, a little bit of your testimony? Yeah. So I, I wasn't raised in a Christian family. I came to Jesus um, through a friend of mine and that kind of like, I guess you could say it's one step after another. Um, and eventually I came to waters and that was like the big, like aha moment of like, wow, I need Jesus in my life. Cause I love how waters says it so clearly about what their relationship with Jesus means. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit about me. Yeah. And the coolest thing about, um, Skylar and I, uh, we go pretty far back. We know each other since middle school. Um, I was not expecting at all to get a phone call from her. And she was like, Hey, like I've been coming to your church and like, you know, um, I just want to let you know that because we, I, I live in Florida now. I go to school here in Florida. Um, so it's really cool to just kind of hear like an old friend of mine come to Jesus, not only come to Jesus, but it's my church, my home church. So, um, it's been so like such a blessing just to see the journey that she's been on um, and to really just be here with her. So I'm so excited, Skylar, for what we're about to dive into. Um, so Skylar does attend a public university. So she and I have totally two different perspectives on school. Um, I've been blessed to go to a Christian university and now I actually do um, online school at the moment. She has been doing public university for about two years, right? Yep. Yeah, so um, she's going to just be answering a couple of questions about that. Um, and we're just really going to be talking about um, the topic that we're going to be talking about is being young and Christian in a contemporary Babylon. So basically kind of like referring to the life of Daniel. It's just kind of hard to be a Christian, a young Christian in today's generation. It's not an easy oh, thing. Yeah. Um We've both we've both experienced it in different ways. I, I experienced it going to public school growing up. Um, she's experiencing now as a new believer. And so that's what makes this so interesting. So let's get right into the questions. I'm so excited about this. What was your experience like when taking I know that you told me they took a woman's study class at your school for an elective. Um, so what was your experience like when you took that woman's study class? It was a time. Let's put it that way. <laughs> 
And I also wanted to be known that when I took that class, I wasn't a completely Christian yet. So I was still a young woman, like growing up in my faith or improving my faith and whatnot. And it was definitely challenging taking that class because not only is there a lot that I had to learn that I, I disagree with on a personal level, but now like looking back as like with my Christian perspective too. And something I did not like about it is how opinionated it was. Like it was very much like, oh, this is how I think of the world, this and that. And when it comes to like a very intense class like that, there's a lot of just, yeah, a lot of opinion, opinions that aren't based on facts yeah. and something that, um, well, one thing in particular that that class talked about very commonly is pretty much bashing on like white middle-class heterosexual men saying, oh, they're the ones that like rule the government. They're terrible, this and that, like blah, blah, blah. And it just, it made me hate it. And it made me not be grateful for what God made. It was a very hate-based class. Like, oh, look at the issues of the world. Look at this, look at that. That's terrible. We can do better. Yeah, we can do better, but that's not where we're going to start is by bashing on what God blessed us with. This world is not perfect. I'm not saying that it's perfect, but God blessed us with such like just where we are now, I think we should really be grateful for it. Even though our like economy isn't great, our government isn't great, yada, yada, yada. God, we could be somewhere like China or somewhere like a third world country where we're poor. We have like no privileges and such, but God gave us a country that is based on freedom and justice. So even though that class is really bashing it, like it was just hard to attend that class and not be filled with hate is what I'm trying to say, but it wasn't, it wasn't showing like the greatness of it. Like, Oh, look, like, look how great our country is. It's very much like, this is a problem. This is a problem. Like da da da. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be really discouraging too. Um, that's, you know, I, I experienced the same thing in high school and it really just points to a lot of the negatives. Um, so that's why it's really just important to know what's true. And um, like you said, like, I really like how you pointed out, like, there's so much blessing from the Lord and they want to point to those as negatives. Um, my second question, I know that you have been, you were in training for an RA um, and you said something about, to me about the training that went, you had to go through and, um, addressing pronouns and stuff like that. So, um, just explain a little bit of that, about your experience with that and the training that you had to go through in the classes you did, um, with the freshmen. Yeah. So, um, a little bit background about me, RA is resident assistant. So what that means is I live in a dorm, a dormitory, with students and I'm pretty much kind of like a leader. Like people can come to me if they have personal stuff, um, they have an issue going on. And so that's like what this training is for. And I was I was in a position where I was helping freshmen. So I was a resident assistant and I was a freshman leader. The classes for it, they weren't necessarily focused on strategies like some of them were, but they were more so focused on like more social justice issues. We talked very heavily on racism and it felt it felt in a way that like, I guess I was confused yeah. because 
I understand racism is an issue, but I don't want to solve the issue by pitying the race. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we were taught is we were taught to, like we watched this movie, I forgot what it's called, but it's very heavy about like racism and Af- African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And it was just a terrible movie. Like there's just so much bad stuff that happened. I was like, okay, I hate learning stuff by looking at like the negative aspect of it, of yeah. like me pitying them because that's terrible. And I think yeah. because of that, I felt really closed off from it because I don't want to learn by, through pity. I want to learn through like different strategies, like yeah, that's true. open-minded, not like, wow, look how terrible your race is. I'm so sorry for that. And this is what we're going to do. Like, it was very much like pity, 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 this, this, and that. And yeah, especially coming from like, um, like a white middle-class citizen I felt very I I guess like underestimated like I felt like I couldn't really participate because we were the generation that was being or the population I should say that was being bashed for that yeah um not necessarily directly but more so kind of like let's we care more about what African-Americans say or in general people of color and so that was really frustrating I think you mentioned something about pronouns too um or how to address groups of people like you can't say woman you have to say woman with a u (laughs) or something like that olivia i am so glad you brought this up so yeah that was when when you told me that was like what (laughs) (laughs) thank you for bringing this up so okay so that training was for mainly for resident assistant this training was for like helping out the freshmen and i took this class (laughs) Oh my gosh. I really wish I saved the paper from it that like said all these like ridiculous words. But anyway, so my favorite memory from that is when they took simple words like men, women, and folk. (sighs) And so we were talking about how to be more inclusive, yada, yada, yada. And they said, my teacher said, oh, we don't want to use the word woman anymore because that's like, that's offensive because it's W-O-M-E-N. We want it to be either, it was either O-N or Y-N for plural. And I was like, are you serious? That was crazy. And then folk too, because it has like some sort of like dominance associated to, I don't even know. It's like you're, it's like you're scared to say the wrong thing. Like that's like, this is what this teacher was teaching us to how to be a better leader for freshmen. So it was really hard. And there's one point where I like, like, this is a two hour class. So there's one point where I'm like, I can't do this for two hours. Cause at this point I am very involved, like as a Christian and I'm just like, this is, I can't do this. Like, this is so toxic to me. The thing that you said that I thought was so true is that you're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing I feel like that's Mm -hmm. the society that they've kind of cultivated where you really you have to think this way you say one thing out of line forget about it it's ridiculous that you can't even say like woman like Mm -hmm. it's a word like woman woman like woman with a y that's just so crazy to me I just want to go on to this next question um since you brought up about you know speaking out to your class and stuff um when you feel attacked um embarrassed or persecuted um I don't know if so much persecution happens for you but when you feel you know people are really just trying to come at you against your beliefs what really helps you to remain strong in your faith with that so 
Um, this is at my dorm where I'm an RA at and I have a cross on my door and someone took it one night and immediately like, I did not want to get angry because let's be real. I'm in a freshman dorm. Something's going to get stolen eventually. So like, that's why I got a cheap cross and I put it out there immediately. When that happened, I put my, I um, got on my knees. I put my head on my Bible and I just prayed like, Lord, I cannot get mad about this. Cause like, and I pray rather than like me getting mad, let this be an opportunity for them to have a moment with you. Like let them have a change of heart. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it's, it's so hard to do because it's so easy to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. Oh my gosh. Like that's so terrible. Yeah. And although like you do have a right to be angry, you can't, fill yourself up with that anger because that's the devil trying to separate you from God's children because what I saw in that situation was okay these are people who are obviously making themselves look desperate because they stole my cross and and it it was so crazy because they ended up returning it and I went on Instagram and the first post that I saw was believe what you just prayed for so that was a good like ending to the story but I think in cases where there's no happy ending and this person is just terrible to you and um, you feel defenseless and whatnot, like it's so I had this moment with someone who is above me. I really wanted to go like I wanted to do this, but they didn't let me because I had another commitment. And in general, like they're not a very good person, but yeah, I'm always with them. So when one was like that, where like you're always surrounded by this person who's trying to, I guess, um, like just trying to not bring you to your fullest or who is very, um, demanding of you and very negative towards you pray, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Cause it's so hard to always be patient. Patience is not like a one time. Okay. Lord, like you blessed me with this gift. Thank you. Now I'm patient for the rest of my life. It's more so a, it's a constant decision to make. So in those cases, you have to put head. into action. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. With my old roommates, we would, like, accidentally, like, you know, forget our keys to our room, and, like, they would break mm-hmm. out into fights, and, like, that's crazy. Your first response is, like, I'm just going to pray. Like, that's amazing, and I think that's honestly something so powerful. Um, Thank you. Literally, like, your first instinct is prayer. Like, that's – there's power in prayer, um, and I think that's amazing that you were able to use that for good. Um, and then I just wanted to ask you too, we do have a lot of young listeners and I think that that's like, you know, hearing your story about that too. Um, and really just talking about patience and stuff. What is your advice to other young students and other young girls, um, who are trying to really just stay firm in their faith and, um, be public about it and, um, you know, not be afraid to share it in front of their friends, um, and classmates and peers. What's your advice for, uh, to those listeners? Of course. So for all those who are listening to me right now, I need you to remember that your time on earth is so temporary. It's so temporary. Eventually everything is going to disappear and go away. God wants us to make our time on earth so valuable and take every single moment to its fullest. And that is so hard to do because, you know, we're not we don't always see God. We know he's with us, but it's it's hard to see him sometimes, especially in moments where 
it's really, really hard. You're stressed out. You're overwhelmed. You're exhausted. You, you're sad. You're anxious. You're afraid and all these feelings. And in those moments, it's hard to see God, but he is always with you and he's calling you to be stronger and to be his disciple. Even though it's really, really hard, he wants, he wants more of his children and he calls us to spread his love because he died for all of us. And that's so incredible. Like, let's think about it this way. This is a God, like the almighty being, the immortal, the like, the one so powerful. And he chose to give his son or become human to experience like the sinful world with us and to die for us, even though we don't deserve it. What is a more beautiful love than that? Tell me there's not. It's so important to spread that love and to show that love, especially to people who need it the most. Um, Yeah. Even though it's hard, do not be afraid. Yeah. I don't think there's any better way to end that. um, To be honest. Um, I hope that everyone listening knows we, this is not a bash (laughs) bash public universities um, special Clearly, like I, I have my bias, of course, against those who want to indoctrinate their students. Um, I really don't agree with that, and I will live that to the day I die. Um, but this is definitely not by, um, I mean, a bashing of those who do attend those public universities, and a bashing towards those who um, are taking those classes. Um, you know, we just want to encourage you guys: spread the love of Jesus above all. Um, that's just the way, the best way to go about these situations. And you really just got to put yourself in the feet of Jesus and really think to yourself, what would Jesus do in these moments, um, when people don't agree with you because he faced those, he faced those moments, the entirety of his time on earth. And he still faces that to this day. And we ourselves do that to Jesus, um, through our sin. So this is definitely not something to, you know, an excuse to bash those who disagree with us. And that's not what we're trying to say at all. Um, but I really love your encouragement at the ends. Just spread the love of Jesus, be a light. Um, that's the whole purpose of us being here is to just spread the gospel. Um, and to just walk through Jesus until he comes back and brings us all to heaven with him. Um, so we can spend eternity with him in the Lord. Um, but Skylar, I just want to thank you so much um for doing this this has honestly been such a blessing and um i really am glad that you're able to just spread this encouragement you know share your story with us so thank you so much thank you so much olivia this is wonderful okay thank you olivia that was great proud dad but more importantly i'm very passionate about bringing you this content especially you parents of teens and future college students or present college students you need to know what's going on And you can't afford in this moment to get discouraged. You have to fight. You have to fight for your children. You have to be aware of what's going on in public universities, okay? Share this content, that pre-recorded video with somebody who works on the Team Hatch Live team, and they were floored by what's happening in public universities. And I guess, you know what? We must expect it because it is the world, and the world is under the power of the evil one. But as Christians, we've got to be aware. We can't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Secondly, we can't be, we can't be afraid. You just can't be afraid anymore. Second Timothy 1, 7, I'll leave you with this. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Christians, listen to me. You have no fear in Christ Jesus. If you're living with fear, that's not from God. You have to renounce that fear in Jesus' name. Stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
receive the power he'll give you, the love he'll give you, even for your enemies, even for people who want to indoctrinate your kids into all this nonsense. He'll give you love for your enemies. And at the same time, he'll give you self-control so that you can approach these conversations with your kids, with your spouse, and even with public school administrators, university professors. I don't know. I'm not telling you to fight your kids' battles, but I am telling you to say something when you see something. Thanks so much for being here tonight. I hope this content has been a blessing to you. If you would be so kind as to support the channel at Tim Hatch Live, hashtag Tim Hatch Live or TimHatchLive.com slash support. Some of you support, some of you don't. Don't mind if you don't support, but we do have bills to pay and anything that you can give to the channel would be very appreciated. Tomorrow night, the deep dive is back. So join us at 7.30 as we finish off Romans chapter 8. Very powerful, very important teaching for Wednesday night deep dive. Bible study, check out the website where you can also get a hold of our swag. I think there's a hoodie. I was wearing it last week. You can get that hoodie available now at timhatchlive.com. Follow us on our social media channels. And most importantly, at this time, this really would help the channel, okay? Leave a review at the podcast app on your Apple devices or whatever podcast app you're using. Leave a review. Make sure it's five stars. And even if you have to lie, make sure it's five stars. <laughs> I know you don't have to lie. It's your favorite night of the week. And it will be back in two weeks. God bless you guys. Have a great night.